Hey, what's going on all you fiction peddlers out there? Today's show is brought to you by our dear friends over at the Lucky Guy Bakery. They are bringing you delicious handmade brownies from the freshest, all-natural ingredients right to your door. I can't say enough good things about the Lucky Guy Bakery. I love their product. I love the, the lady behind the product. They're fans of the show. It's a small business run by a liberty-minded entrepreneur bringing you just delicious brownies. They're not too sweet. They're not too salty. They're just, they're just chocolatey and delicious. And then of course they have these like cookie brownies. They're oatmeal and uh, peanut butter and uh, a blondie. They've got brownies for vegans or for people who have a gluten allergy. So go check them out at the Lucky Guy Bakery. Use my promo code PF20 so they know I sent you. You'll get 20% off your order. That's P as in peddling, F as in fiction, 20 from the Lucky Guy Bakery for 20% off your order. Support the show, support our awesome sponsors, and get yourself something delicious to round out that perfect dinner. TheLuckyGuyBakery.com, promo code PF20. All right, let's start the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote I know words, I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. Hope everyone's doing well today. Sorry about missing the the last episode. This not it's now Wednesday, uh, St. Patrick's Day, I think. Even though we don't really celebrate that down here, south of the border. But um, yeah, I was I was planning on doing an episode on Tuesday, and then I I met some people down at the pool Monday, and we ended up. Uh, renting a yacht Tuesday afternoon. So they invited me to go yachting with them. And who am I to pass up a nice boat ride? So um, after I did that for about six hours yesterday, I don't think I was in the right frame of mind for a uh, a, a podcast episode, unfortunately, because you know I, I there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about because my last episode was an interview. And this episode is actually an interview that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. So, um, yeah, uh, maybe I'll try to do like a, a real short one or something just to get some stuff off my chest one of these days, but either uh, tonight or tomorrow. They're doing a bunch of construction as usual right next to my unit. I don't know if it's the one right above me or just to, to the side, but it went gangbusters today, right? Uh, you know, basically an hour or two before I was going to record this interview. So, I actually had to hit up a, a family friend who has another unit in this condo. So I'm up in uh, good old 19D, which is a corner unit, has great views, but no real good place to set up to record. And I I got the, the green light to do this maybe 15 minutes before 
we were supposed to record the interview and uh, I, I just didn't have enough time to, to really set up a, a good uh, studio here. So if we do send video for this, I apologize for that. But um, anyway, I don't think I, oh yeah. So this episode will drop before Friday and this Friday is our next happy hour. So make sure you're getting involved with that. For those of you who, um, who are not involved, the way to do that is to become a supporting listener of the show by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. You click on the support the show tab and set up a monthly recurring donation uh, for any dollar amount that you want. As long as you keep the, those monthly donations coming in, we will invite you to a happy hour every other Friday. When we get together, we're going to start around 6.15 or so Central Standard Time. Oh, no, shit, I'm going to have to push it because, uh, shit, I'm an hour behind. I'm basically on East Coast time right now because we had daylight savings time in uh, in the U.S. on Sunday, but they don't change the clocks here for like another couple of weeks. I think it's sometime in April. So um, our sunset is at is still around like seven o'clock, which would be eight o'clock your time. So we're going to have to push it back if you guys want to see the sunset, which I think adds a nice little element to it, makes you guys jealous of me. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, do that and uh, also join the private Facebook group and if you're in the private Facebook group and you are one of the uh, top 10 contributors to that private group for the month, you'll get invited to the following uh, the, the following happy hour for free if you want to go that route. But other than that, I think we can just get into the show here. I have a very special guest that I am really excited to talk to uh, today because I, I love the topic and, and I love what he's doing. His name is Daniel, and he's coming at us from New Jersey. He is the man behind the Blue Star Union. And um, yeah, so without further ado, Daniel, welcome to the show. What's going on, man? Not much, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you, you know, you kind of look familiar to me. I don't know if I've, I've seen you around. I don't think <laughs> yeah, we've it was, um, before. It was that, that night at Chippendales, I think, we met each other. <laughs> Behind the dumpster, right? Yeah, yeah, that must have been it. That must. Have been. <laughs> no, man, it's funny you say that. I get told that all the time. I don't know if I just have one of those faces, but I don't know. People always say, "Oh, I think I've met you before," and I'm like, "No, we've never met." <laughs> yeah, I just, I just have one of those looks, I guess. It must be, and uh, you're the man behind Blue Star Union. I wouldn't have seen you from that, huh? Uh, no, we're relatively new, so I, I wouldn't fault anyone for not recognizing the name or recognizing me. Um, we're, we're a nonprofit that started in New Jersey last year. We're only about eight months, seven months old. And uh, with the backbone of it sort of being a social group, we couldn't have picked a worse time than this like COVID uh, pandemic. It's, it's very difficult to get people to get together out in public or host events. Most of the businesses that we have relationships with are very hesitant to have like meetings or gatherings. Um, but we're first and foremost, like a civil rights group. Uh, we want to engage people in dialogue sort of outside the paradigm of voting, right? When we talk politics, um, it seems that instinctually people invoke party. That's like the number one thing. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. And the other thing they invoke is like people, like politicians. You know, I'm going to vote for this guy. This guy says he's going to give me this or this guy's going to give me that. 
we on a more cultural level, we see a lot of value in, in, in a society that's like getting really dependent on technology. I mean, look how we're forced to interface for these dialogues, right? Because of this environment. Um, we, we have a huge emphasis on, on, on social gathering, right? On humanity, touch, uh, interfacing. Um, the days where people would get together at like a, a rotary club or a VFW or a bar and just have a beer and talk about, Hey, what's this stuff going on in my town? Or what's, what's this? You talk about local issues with people, you know, right now the dialogues in, in American culture are so federalized, right? It's every soccer mom and every reach of suburbia in America is wondering what, what Joe Biden did today or what Jen Psaki said today or what Obama said or, or what Trump did and how he's racist and, we all know that like 150 years ago, nobody cared. Nobody knew what the federal government was doing. It wasn't a part of their lives. So we're, we're a civil rights group. We're going to be engaging in a lot of activism in New Jersey under a couple of fronts, the first one being the Second Amendment. Um, we hope to have like campaigns. We do a lot of interviews. Um, we interface with with public officials, people running for positions in government. Um, but the, the, the first and foremost, the, the biggest focus is the social group to be a club, to be a family and get people together that have never met, put them in a group of room of 50 people and say, Hey, talk to each other. Why don't we have a podcast in front of all these people and talk about whatever's on your mind, have a debate, have a discussion. Um, we're starting to get some traction. Last week, we were honored to actually moderate the, um, uh, New Jersey Libertarian Party debate for the gubernatorial primary race. Um, so stuff like that, I think, is going to help us grow and kind of put our name out there in the political community in New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's not a, a lot of that going on right now. It's like almost like going back to the Stone Age, getting together with a group of people at a bar and just having an event or something like that. Yeah, man. We have, like I said, a couple of close friends that let us use spaces, one of which is a local restaurant called Mayetta's. They're good friends of ours personally. And in fact, we're having a St. Patrick's Day party tonight where we're going to host a live podcast from their dining room. And and they don't, this whole time, they've been awesome. They're like, let us do whatever we want there. You know, we're personal friends of theirs. One or two other places treat us the same way. Everyone else doesn't. Everyone else is hesitant to not only have people come and have political discussions, but they immediately say, oh, no, I'm not je I'm not jeopardizing my liquor license and have the attorney general come after me. Um, I don't know if this is like this where people may be listening to this in other states. But in New Jersey, our attorney general has been downright predatory in going after several businesses who have liquor licenses or food licenses. Not only will he send undercover police officers in there to document something and give them a citation for thousands of dollars, but he'll revoke liquor licenses for weeks. So if you are a ballroom that does weddings, you're a bar where the most of your income is liquor, and you have your license taken away for a month, that can be astronomical. Like it can be devastating to your bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that is so fucked up too. The, yeah. the whole just licensing process to begin with, where they, they take away your right to do something and then sell it back to you. Is such bullshit, but man, sending in undercover cops just to fuck with you. And they lie. Like, so, so here's an instance of one. And it's actually the place where, or <laughs> I don't know if I want to get too specific, but it was a place where I've had a lot of milestones celebrated in my life. And I know the owner, he is one of the most scrupulous upstanding businessman, uh, whatever his opinions he may have politically keeps to himself. He's just a good man, right? Good family that runs this, this sort of ballroom bar. And he got screwed over because they they'll send people into the business and the citations they give him aren't like, oh, you were over the fire capacity or you were over the COVID pandemic governor's capacity. It's, they, it's never couched under that. It was literally something like 
you had a patron holding an alcoholic beverage who stood up from their table. Oh, Jesus. Like, so you're just like drinking, eating, and in the moment you do this, oh, that's it. Shut them down. You know, I saw that. Therefore, some agent of the state cuts you a nice uh, a nice invoice that you owe to the state government. And uh, we're going to take away your livelihood and send all your employees to unemployment uh, for the next month. And by the way, our unemployment offices, they're not open and you can't get through to them. So there's uh, hundreds of thousands of people for 12 months that have not gotten a penny from the state. Wow, that is... I would say it's unbelievable, but at this point, nothing really surprises me. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. What's uh, what's going on over in New Jersey in terms of like the COVID restrictions and everything? We we are one of those. Look, we're we're smack dab like next to Cuomo. Obviously, Murphy is our governor, but it's been like Cuomo, Newsom, Murphy, and maybe Whitmer uh, in Michigan. These people are just vying to be the biggest tyrant. Like they're trying to think of creative ways, <clears throat> excuse me, to, uh, to kind of bankrupt as many businesses as possible and then act like they're giving out, you know, free, you know, uh, free things to the, to the peons, uh, us here in society. The response has been pretty nuts. Um, and, and look, we have this conversation often in our events at our podcasts. It's very easy to, it's very easy to take a small community of people and just like instill them with fear, but fear is not enough, right? Cause there's many people that will buy their story. And then there's some that don't. So what do they do with the remaining majority that don't buy the story and don't buy into the fear? Well, like we just said, there will be consequences, right? So if your livelihood, if you own a laundromat and your livelihood is predicated on people coming in your store and they can close you down, like you won't eat. So what these tyrants do is they create these absurd, unscientific uh, figures. So they'll, if you actually plot, I mean, we're probably saying stuff that everybody listening to this already knows, but if you plot whenever these measures go in, oh, we enforce masks now, we didn't enforce masks here, and you plot it across a graph of infections and deaths, um, suffice it to say that those infections and deaths are already on relative terms, so they're not even a universal defined term, but there's no rhyme or reason to when they enact the regulation and when something scientifically happens as a response. And New Jersey's been the biggest culprit. They, they temporarily opened up some things in the summertime. For a good two, three months, there was literally nothing open other than like supermarkets, right? Like hospitals, like the absolutely bare essential things. We had a bunch of lawsuits in the spring with things like uh, gun ranges, gun stores. Um, our, our permits, our pistol permits in New Jersey are predicated on a finite timeline. So you apply for it. It can take a year for them to get back to you and hand you the permit. But then uh, back then, it, the clock starts where you have 90 days. So all these people waited like nine months, a year to get these handgun permits. COVID starts. For those in the Second Amendment community, you know that it's been impossible to find anything. There are, There's no ammo, no primers, no powder, no brass, no lead. Uh, forget buying a gun. Like in New Jersey, you cannot even buy a gun. It's impossible that the shelves are bare. So you had all these people that were like, okay, I'm really scared. I want to get a gun. They get this permit. They waited a year and then they're told, yeah, you can't buy anything and the thing's going to lapse and you're going to have to wait another year to apply <laughs> oh, again. So it was nuts. There was a two, two entities launched lawsuits. The governor very slowly relinquished it. Like I think in June, he reopened them. And then other things got mad because he included, it was really funny. He included golf courses with that. So it was like, okay, we'll give a reprieve to golf courses and guns. And now everyone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I own like a basketball facility or I own whatever other sport facility, a, 
you know, a laser tag or whatever nonsense. So it's just, look, it's just tyrants picking winners and losers, deciding who deserves to make money. And if you don't want to listen to us, we'll just use the force and tyranny of the state to unilaterally destroy your life. That's basically what it boils down to. Yeah. And, and you said you started the blue star union, what, like seven months ago or something like that? Yeah, we started in earnest in about June of last year. I think we our charter was actually like our founding like documents were like late May, but June is when we covered a, a, a couple of rallies for the first time. And last summer we started covering a lot of protests, like Floyd. The Floyd uh, incident obviously had a lot of uh, demonstrations, uh, a lot of uh, also the political season. You had a lot of presidential demonstrations, so we spent a lot of time covering Trump. Trump of uh, protests. Here's a funny thing about New Jersey. We're we're a blue state when it comes to actually voting. And much like the United States, if you were to break down the counties by color, it's predominantly red. Uh, it's just this like corridor near New York City, the corridor near Philly, and kind of the 95 corridor that goes through there. Um, it's really interesting, though, if you spent the summer trying to cover anything, there were no Biden rallies whatsoever. You would think there would be one like every two seconds. There was zero interest. You could not find in a grassroots group of 10 individuals holding signs for Biden rallies. So the, for whatever reason, the right-wing groups were enthused doing all these rallies. Like every Saturday and Sunday, all these highways would have people like doing flag waves, flag waving. And then because of that, like five Biden people would show up to respond to them. So it was this funny dynamic. You know, we are not, we're, we're 501c3, so we're not partisan. We don't endorse candidates or parties. Um, and I'm personally, I don't, my opinions don't really fall into either, you know, party camp. I'm much more libertarian, uh, much more sympathetic to anarchism than a lot of these points. So we go there and it's like, I don't care who you're rallying for. I'm going to find something interesting to contradict you about or to uh, try to challenge you on what you think. And unfortunately, all we could do was Trump stuff, like because nobody did any Biden, any Biden rallies. So that kind of dominated the end of the summer. And then we started getting into our events. So we, we hold these live podcast parties. We try to go to a business. We plug them. We tell their story about how the lockdowns are affecting their livelihood. We give the owner, you know, the beginning of this, uh, the first segment, you know, alone just for them and to thank them for letting us use the space. And then we, uh, whoever's there, we'll throw out some talking points. We give away prizes and we'll have a debate. We have four microphones and let people argue with each other. I think it's fun. Um, I think it's a, a way to engage people and make new friends. There's obviously no animosity, but people do get heated and get excited. And it's our, our motto is iron sharpens iron, right? So, and, and what that means to us is you can think something and until you put it out there into the ethos and it's challenged, you'll never know whether your opinion is valid, whether it's been exercised, whether it's uh, it withstand the test of battle, right? And many people in politics hear platitudes. They hear buzzwords. If you follow a political campaign, you know, they'll say something else. They'll, they'll invoke racism or building back better, or this, I support the second amendment. What politician doesn't say they support the second amendment, right? Both parties say that, but those are all platitudes. So you've got to say that platitude in front of an audience who can fight you back because when they can challenge you, it actually forces you to think about what you're saying. And that's kind of the goal of what we do. We want people to exercise their ideas and and put them up to intellectual scrutiny from an audience of people. Was the whole COVID pandemic thing the catalyst for starting this or were you already planning on doing this before? The <laughs> 
So it's, a, it's funny you mentioned that. Yes and no. So I did work in the nonprofit world years ago. I was the executive director for Project Veritas back in like 2012, 2013. And then I went back into the private sector. I've worked in energy my whole life. That's like where my private sector experience is and did about another five, six years there. And I actually got laid off because of COVID and specifically because of actions by the government, which I won't nerd out on. But uh, essentially, the, the New York state government did a bunch of things that caused a couple of companies to go bankrupt by no fault of their own. And my company was feeling that pressure and I was part of a second round of layoffs. So I'm sitting at home, uh, not getting any unemployment, by the way. And uh, I was like, you know, I always have had a passion for activism, for politics, for talking about stuff like this. Um, I, I had experience in it. And I thought I was talking with a couple of friends who are now on my on my board. <clears throat> excuse me. And we said, why don't we just start our own thing? We, we hate this entire uh, premise of like, Democrat, Republican, left, right. Let's talk about deeper social issues and let's make the premise that it's it's human, it's personal, right? That you're going to go out to an event. We, we, we advertise that we're going to be doing something in conjunction with a business. And it's something exciting to look forward to once a month or twice a month to go meet with people like people used to at bowling alleys or VFWs, you know, is get a sense of community. Um, and I have to say, in this, even in this short time, we've obviously like invoked relationships that we've had before the organization. I have made so many friends and so many new contacts the people that I never would have had access to or thought to speak to if it wasn't for this organization. You know, one of the funny things we did in the in the summertime for people that know New Jersey, we're famous for the shore and the beaches and the boardwalks. You have all the tropes of the MTV show and all that. I actually lived for years when I was uh, when I was single, like uh, when I was engaged to my wife. We actually lived near Seaside Heights while they were filming that that show, so we always saw them. And if you want to meet interesting people. Uh, and get an impromptu opinion right away from someone who has no problem telling you like you're an idiot or telling you what they think, go to a boardwalk in New Jersey. And, <laughs> and, and, you, and you'll see that they're not all from New Jersey. A lot of people are from other countries, New York, because it's somewhat of a tourist destination. And I like breaking a lot of paradigms, you know, going to those places. One of my favorite ones are racial paradigms, right? So you'll, you'll go to these boardwalks and you'll think like, um, like leftists in New Jersey will tell you like gun control is fantastic and public programs, public is, public entitlements are awesome. And then you go up to that lily white leftist and go, oh, yeah, you think the George Floyd thing was uh, really bad and terrible and racist, right? And they're like, of course, of course, I can't believe that that happened. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. You know what? Wouldn't it be great if every black New Jerseyan had the right to carry a rifle in their city so that that can never happen again? And they're like, oh, 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 and all of a sudden they don't know what to say. But then two seconds later, I'll go up to a black guy and say the same thing. And he'll say, fuck, yeah, I want to I, I want to be armed. Fuck though, those cops that killed that. That guy. So it's like, I don't have to invoke political platitudes. I want to go straight to real people and show how this person is contradicting that person, yet they're signaling their virtue to the other side. You know what I mean? And yeah. until you actually go in front of people and talk to them like human beings, you're never going to know what they think. And people on the boardwalk will certainly open up to you very quickly. So that was like a really fun uh, bunch of segments we did last year, just going out with a wireless microphone and a camera and talking to people in public. And it was a great time. Cool, man. Yeah. How many people are involved in your organizations? You and how many others that actually? So we have a, day day? yeah. So we have a board of two people, very close friends, one of which works for state government. She's still kind of working in politics. Uh, another one that uh, works in a private sector job, but 
also connected politically and we all went to college together. So we actually were all friends working at this paper. If you Google it, you might still find it. It was called the Centurion. It was at Rutgers University in New Jersey. That's where we're all from. And it was sort of the precursor to Project Veritas. Like that's what those people that were involved with that paper kind of led to that organization being formed after college. So these are people that I've known for years. Um, We have a New Jersey state chair, Uh, His name is Nick. He works with us. He lives down in South Jersey, very active in the political community. And then separate from us, he may or may not be running in a a state uh, legislative race, which will be he'll let him talk about that outside the organization. Um, But in terms of people that uh, work day to day, it's only a small handful of us. But in terms of people who engage us and are part of our conversations and come to our parties, it's been several hundred people. You know, we've we've made lots of connections. When we have a party, our mailing list, we throw it out there. I throw out some texts, and usually we can get a few dozen people uh, to show up. And 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 in that in this environment, that's pretty damn good. Because trust me, it is not easy to pull people to some of these businesses. Uh, a lot of people are very scared still to go out. And like I said, that's that's kind of the biggest obstacle for us right now. Yeah. And are you guys all? You consider yourself a libertarian or an anarchist? What what's uh label am I putting on you? <laughs> Yeah. So I always tell the story, uh, our friend, Mike Rufo, we actually told the story last night of like, how did they always just, what was that seminal moment? How did you arrive at what you think? The the, the short answer is I, 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 I don't know partially, you know, some of it is organic. Some of it I, I can point to and say, I think this was a, uh, a defining moment in my, in my development as a political conscience. Um, I started out in high school, completely apathetic to politics, did not care. You could not interest me to listen to politics. I went to government school. I went to public school. I was getting told all day to believe in statism, right? To the the government is good. The government helps you. Listen, here's a Michael Moore book. Uh, Read this and write a book report. I'll give you extra credit. Um, There was never any book, you know, for for Milton Friedman or Ayn Rand or, or Murray Rothbard, that never would happen, right? It was always leftist tropes. And so I read those books and I thought at that time, like, oh, this makes sense. He's anti-war. Um, he wants all these entitlements to help poor people. This sounds really great. So if you were to ask me when I was 16, 17, I would have like been at that time, it was George Bush's first term, I would have been probably saying some leftist tropes for like my end of college. And then actually the one guy who's on my board is, was a good friend of mine. Uh, at that time we were friends in high school and this other circle of friends, we started playing poker. And I don't know if you remember the poker craze like 20 years ago was really popular. Yeah. And we were in high school, like making a lot of money doing this. It was like our little scheme, like, wow, this is exciting. And I started seeing like people at these poker tables were invoking a lot more right-wing stuff is that uh, these people are around money. They're, they're wealthy, they're paying taxes, they own businesses. And now I'm starting to hear things contradicting what I heard in government school my whole life. And so I started getting attracted to the right, kind of went the other way. And I went into college, 2004 was Bush versus uh, uh, John Kerry. So I became like neocon, right? Absolute neocon. The war in Iraq is awesome. Bomb these brown countries. Uh, you know, the, the, the tropes of the college, we are, we had those like tables saying the affirmative action bake sale, all of those tropes that you'd have in like a college GOP type nonsense. That was me. Right. Okay. And, that, and and I was the editor of that, that paper, The Centurion. I was the executive editor or some editor, some title. I was this like defined my college experience. Right. And I got off on like, oh, let's make fun of the hippies that are sleeping in the tents and smoking weed and all that. Then I went to work as an adult when I graduated and I saw my paycheck, you know, getting taken. And I was like, huh, like this really pisses me off. And then I want to buy something and I can't. And I'm like, wait a minute. My enemy's like 
aren't those people that I made fun of in college because like they're not bothering me. It's the government. Like, and I started slowly having this awakening to understanding that all of my problems predicated with the state. Like they were the ultimate force that were keeping me back or hurting me actively in some ways. I got involved in Second Amendment stuff. And then I started seeing travesties, things from just, hey, this is an injustice to you got killed because of the government. And my mind, you know, started expanding much more rapidly. By my mid 20s, I would have called myself a libertarian. Um, And now here I am 34 years old, I, I might call myself an anarchist, I don't know. And the answer to the short answer to your question is, I don't know what I'm going to be tomorrow. I know that I've been changing, you know, my whole life through that timeline. I think anyone that says there's something, and they're the same thing for the last 30 years, Maybe they're consistent, but they're probably also not listening to anything or not listening to other people. And I think if you were to ask anyone on the sort of libertarian community, uh, hey, how did you arrive at your opinions? They've probably gone through some journey similar to mine. It might have had different stops. It might have had different labels. But I don't think anyone said, yeah, you know, I came out of my mother's womb waving a Gadsden flag like that's you know, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as long as you're anti-government, I think uh <laughs> I think we're in the same boat. Maybe that's a better label than anarchist or whatever you want to throw on it, because I don't think there's anything that that could possibly happen to change my mind in terms of that, like that the government isn't the problem of, you know, the root of all evil, essentially. Let's take a quick second and pay some bills, shall we? Because I have a new sponsor for the show, relatively new. And I think you guys are really could really benefit from this. The if you haven't been exposed to cryptocurrency or something like that, the CoinBits app could be a great way for you to dip your toe into Bitcoin. And if you haven't heard of them before, maybe you've heard of some of these other popular sort of roundup apps. You know, when you make a purchase that it doesn't end in a complete dollar. You know, ten dollars and fifty cents. Right. They'll take that extra 50 cents. They'll round it up to eleven dollars and they'll take that 50 cents and invest it in something for you. Right. Well, coin the CoinBits app does that, but with Bitcoin. So it takes that extra 50 cents and it buys some Bitcoin for you every week. So all of your purchases, it rounds it up to the nearest dollar and then buys you some Bitcoin. And it could be a great way to sort of dollar cost average your way into uh, the Bitcoin cryptocurrency and they've made it super easy to do. You know, a lot of a lot of this technology stuff is very complicated. You guys know I'm technologically illiterate and I hate dealing with, you know, setting up wallets and doing this and doing that. I don't I don't understand how any of this shit works really, right? They take care of all of that for you. All you have to do is go to coinbitsapp.com/fiction and and set up your account. It's coinbits b is in boy i t s app app.com/fiction. Set up your coinbits account and they'll take care of the rest. Now it's not at the moment it's not an app for your cell phone yet so you got to do this on your computer go to that coinbitsapp.com slash fiction so they know i sent you and you can start automatically investing your spare change into bitcoin every week without even really being aware that you're doing it and psychologically at least for me as soon as you break a certain 
you know, threshold and the dollar amount, right? 35 cents, 45 cents, 55 cents. At some point, mentally, I'm already thinking that it costs whatever the next dollar is, right? If it's $10.45, okay, I just spent $11. So why not take that 55 cents and buy some Bitcoin? Um, That that spare change can add up over time. And who knows what's going to happen with Bitcoin? I mean, you guys know I'm not the the biggest Bitcoin proponent, but it's certainly near all-time highs right now at about 54,000. And there's there's people saying it, it's going to go to millions. It could go to zero. So this is your obvious disclaimer that don't invest anything that you aren't prepared to lose. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. This could be the high in Bitcoin. It could go to zero. And the other thing is that I am not in any way, shape or form licensed or authorized to give you investment advice. I am just telling you simply that this is a way for you to invest in Bitcoin should you be interested in that and it's suitable for your investment needs. So if you've been thinking about investing in Bitcoin, you didn't know how much to invest or when to time the market or something like that, you can kind of forget about all that and go to coinbitsapp.com slash fiction and just dip your toe in the water, start taking little nibbles away at this Bitcoin market here. As far as investing goes, I think spending your spare change slowly over time is a relatively low risk proposition. So if that's something that you think is suitable for your portfolio, Go check them out. All right, where were we? But uh, let's uh, let, let's talk about the Second Amendment stuff because you're a big Second Amendment guy. What what's been going on with that over in New Jersey? Oh, what hasn't been going on? So we it, sometimes it's it's hard to talk about this with national audiences because people don't have a concept of how crazy it is in certain states. New Jersey is one of those states that you can point to and say, "Wow, those people are nuts over there." If you're assuming you're a Second Amendment purist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how do I like put this briefly without talking for like a half hour straight? Look, just, just to get a gun in New Jersey is a, is a tremendous process. Now, if you talk about federal law, the only law that exists in terms of buying a gun is that a person going to an FFL, which is like a federal firearm license uh, shop, you know, your, your gun store, your legit uh, gun shop in a strip mall. <clears throat> if you tell them you want to buy a handgun, they'll say, great, give me your driver's license. I'm going to run this NICS check. That next check goes to, uh, I want to say it's somewhere in West Virginia or Virginia, it goes to the FBI. And like two minutes later, they say, hey, you're approved, John Smith. Here's your gun and you leave. Right? It's a relatively painless process. Now, that's, a, that's nationally how things work. And every other state also you know, kind of surrounding us, except for New York. New Jersey's not like that. New Jersey invokes the government in multiple steps and in multiple ways between that transaction I just described. So in New Jersey, if you were to go to the point of sale to buy a gun, the first thing they'll say is you need what's called a firearms purchaser identification card. That's a state uh, card you get from the state. Well, how do you get that, Dan? Let me tell you how you get that. You go online, you fill out a form, you pay a fee. It's like 20 something bucks. And the state runs two things on you. They run a mental health background check, and then they run a criminal check. You have to answer some perfunctory questions about like, you never wanted to overthrow the government. You've never beaten your wife. Now, that one is always funny. You like all the libertarians in New Jersey always go ha 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 about that on that question. But you have to answer no to a bunch of things. Now, the New Jersey state police gets the first crack. When you write this and you submit this and pay the, the fee, it goes to them. When things are nuts, like they are, like they have been for the last year, they might not respond to that for a month or two. 
during what we call we have jokes here in New Jersey. We call it peacetime and wartime. Right now we're in wartime, right? So when there's wartime, something nationally going on, a school shooting, our checks get so backed up that we that's like, oh, we're in war right now. That's why everything's so tough. So the first step is New Jersey State Police. Once they bless you, it kicks to your municipal police department. Now that's another thing that people go, what is a municipal police department? Because if you live in most of the country, there aren't municipal police departments, right? There's like a county sheriff. And if you call the police, they're coming from some barracks somewhere, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 40 minutes away to respond to a call. Well, not in New Jersey. In New Jersey, virtually every town has a municipal police department. So now it goes to the second level of bureaucracy. And that the resources of your local department are obviously way less than that of the state. And during wartime, you could have a thousand applications sitting in front of that detective. Now, he now has to go through and adjudicate whether you are fit for getting this permit. Oof, where do I go from here? Like, I, I want to give you like a shorter version of this, but it's just not possible. And <laughs> no, I need to fine. like, I need to invoke all of the pain. So everyone understands what we go through here. So now this person will break the law in many ways. And I say this with confidence because there've been many lawsuits settled in New Jersey over this. They are not allowed at this point to ask you for anything further, right? If you are a New Jersey resident and you've lived here, I think for 10 years, they're not allowed to like say, hey, I need a passport from you, or I need your employer's phone number, or I need to know the last 10 places you lived, or I need you to notarize a form, or you wouldn't, I need a doctor's note. They, in New Jersey, these detectives will break the law and now ask you for all of these absurd extra things that New Jersey state statutes very clearly say they cannot ask you for anything other than these two forms, which is those first two I described. New Jersey is famous for this. Sometimes this blends across racial and socioeconomic and social, socioeconomic lines. So Asbury Park, New Jersey is a famous city. Uh, it's a, a coastal city that was a huge, um, had a huge amusement park. And before the 50s was like a destination for Americans to go to as a vacation spot. It went through a lot of economic hard times. Um, and in the last, I'd say the last 20 years, it's experienced this renaissance where it's becoming very built up. Lots of like Manhattan chefs opening up restaurants there. And now it's becoming a sort of well-to-do community again. But it has a large minority population. That police department years ago lost a lawsuit because their, their chief and their detective instituted a policy where uh, any applicant had to answer a 10-question multiple-choice test, which had double negatives in the questions to fuck up the person answering them. So it's like, okay, we can't stop you from getting guns. So let's fabricate this bullshit test so that you fail. And we can go, oh, you failed the test. We're not giving you your permit. And it's not because of us. It's because you failed this bullshit test we made up. That's just one example, okay? Um, now let's assume the police aren't breaking the law in that fashion. They're not adding extra things. They're not putting more obstacles in front of you, all of which are illegal. Let's assume they're doing none of that. Even in the best case scenario, they can just take as long as they want to respond to you. It is very common in New Jersey during peacetime or wartime to wait a year. Now, this goes back to where I said, <laughs> how many permutations of this can I explain? New Jersey state statute says that they have 30 days to accept or deny your application. Nobody, I would say, 98% of people in New Jersey never get it in 30 days. It's always way, way more than that. And if you go to your local police department and say, hi, Mr. Detective, hi, Mr. Chief, um, 
I applied two months ago. Where's my permit? You're going to get threatened. Okay. You're not going to get a polite rebuke. You're not going to get a legitimate excuse because there is none. You're, they're going to tell you, who do you think you are? What's your name again? Where do you live? And they'll start intimidating you. Now, some of them may say we're busy or, oh, COVID's going on. Oh, there was a school shooting and everyone's applying. And to that, the, as an organization, we say, let me explain something to you. Whether there's a fucking pandemic or not, if I beat someone, I'm going to jail. There is no law that says you cannot batter someone except in the event. And there's an asterisk that's like, except in the event of a, of a COVID pandemic, then you can do whatever you want and skirt the law. That's what these police departments do. Now, this makes us very unpopular with a lot of people because we're critiquing the police departments. And I've had conversations with multiple police detectives, not only in my area, but in other areas as well. And they'll make these excuses to me privately, right? I'm having like amicable conversations with them and they'll be like, you don't get it, Dan. When, when this shit goes on, when there's a school shooting, we get like 1500 applications. I'm like, let me explain something to you, chief. I didn't write these laws. Okay. I didn't write them. It's not fucking my policy. It's the New Jersey state legislature and your governor who put their John Hancock at some point and made this law. If you have a problem with the law, you have two choices. You either comply with it and do your fucking job in 30 days or go tell the legislature to change the law. They will never tell the legislature to get rid of gun control laws. Their unions would slaughter them if they ever said that. There is not one police union in New Jersey that has ever stood up and said, why are you wasting our detectives' precious time who should be solving murders, rapes, thefts, burglaries, and instead their desk jockey sitting there pressing search on Google because of people's names to find out why they had a weed possession when they were 16, right? And then they can hide behind this myriad of excuses as to why they don't have to give you a gun permit. So these, these are the kind of conversations we have. 90% of the people reach out to us with the, this is the number one complaint we get. I haven't gotten my permit in six months. What do I do? I'll, I'll tell you, you have to go say something to the police department. And if they don't listen to you, you have to go to their boss, which is usually the council or someone working in the city. If you live in a big enough city, it's like even a bigger bureaucracy. You can go to like a manager in the police department or in the city, uh, city employer, but whatever. There's always some bureaucrat that's in charge of the police. And at that point, this is the problem, man. People are scared because they they view this as like if I'm saying something or going above them, they're going to retaliate against me. Now, they're right. They may retaliate against you. And that's why there's such a chilling effect on gun rights in New Jersey, because even though even those people that say they're pro Second Amendment, they'll never cross that blue line. They'll never say anything to a police officer or their boss. And to them, I say, hey, if you're not willing to go up the chain of command and do the right thing for your rights, you don't deserve them. I don't know what to tell you. And why don't you go to the, the chief, the chief and those officers like I've done to many, and they don't take offense. They understand that this is the reality and say, why don't you do your job the way if you put, a, if, a, if a judge put out a summons for my arrest, or, 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 or excuse me, if a judge put out a, a court date, a summons for me to show up to court, I can't just say, oh, that date passed and that date just wasn't good for me. I couldn't make it because I was busy because of COVID. They'd be like, oh, that's a nice story. Here's handcuffs. You're going to jail, right? But with police, when they say, hey, you have 30 days to do all these permits, I don't give a shit how many of them you have. Get them done. Then they go, oh, it's COVID. Oh, we're busy. Oh, the chief's on vacation. Oh, the detective was sick. They can make up all the fucking excuses they want. And unless you say something, they're not going to do anything. We actually had someone very close to us whose father put in an application. Now, this is digital, right? There's no paper. It's all digital in a state system that you can't forge. 
the police department had the balls to go up to this guy's father after six months when they already were late and said, yeah, we like lost the digital file. So can you apply again? And, and this is what they do. And then the, the, these people don't want to fight that because they're like, if I say something, they're going to retaliate against me or suddenly I'm going to get an electrician or a plumber inspector coming to my house because I'm trying to put in that, that kitchen. And, and people are very scared to come to combat the government in any way. So look, that's why. Okay. And all of that, all of that, that I just explained that I forgot this part, all of that is just for the card, right? Once you get the card, then you have to apply separately for pistol purchase permits, which goes through the same process that you just went through for the FPID card. Now you're waiting months more. If you decide you wanted to buy it after you got the card, you're waiting months more for that to come back. And the worst part about that is you can apply for three or six of them, but you can only buy one every 30 days. And it's from the time which you last took possession. Now it gets even worse. <laughs> the federal NICS check goes to the FBI directly. So if I'm in pencil, uh, if I'm in like, say I'm in Delaware and I buy a gun, that check goes directly to the federal government, comes back. The store says you're good. The state and the police have no idea what you just transacted, right? It's not their business. In New Jersey, our NICS check, because the, our legislators don't trust the federal system, they use the federal system by proxy of our own system. So our checks go through the New Jersey State Police. So this national instant criminal check can take a week. So you show up to buy the gun. They'll be like, yeah, okay, you got your, your card. Yeah, I got the card. I waited nine months. Okay, uh, you got your pistol purchase permit. Yep, I waited nine more months for that. Like, here it is. They're like, all right, come back in a week. Maybe we'll call you if it's ready. So it's people that are listening to this that are not from New Jersey. They're either having a heart attack right now or they're like, this is crazy. How is this possible? That's the kind of tyranny and just one civil right and just one. And that's the Second Amendment that we deal with in New Jersey. And I want to amplify that and make that clear as a warning shot to other people outside of New Jersey while we simultaneously try to chip away at that internally. And we have some activism coming out in the next couple of months. We are involved in a, in a legal proceeding where we hope to chip away at this behemoth just a little bit. Yeah. And so do they also have separate, um, do you have concealed carry in New Jersey? Is that another permit process? It's that's what our case is about. Ironically, ah, okay. uh, we we do have that. So this is how they get away with this. And uh, there's actually a case in the ninth district out of Hawaii. Uh, it's like Hawaii, California. The West Coast is the ninth district. Uh, I think it's called Young versus Hawaii, where they're fighting this right now. <laughs> and the Attorney General in California that that it's on. Uh, it, it actually got overturned. And now it's going to the unbank panel where they're going to have like all 20 judges or whatever hear that case. We have similar cases here in New Jersey. In fact, we're working on one right now here. Uh, a couple, couple of organizations are working on one because our wording is such that we have concealed carry. They have a process you can go through and apply. And you've got to notarize a bunch of forms, do a high level training where you pass the same marksman and training test that a police officer goes through. I have gone through that test and passed it. Many people fail it. Okay. Cause it's the, the level, it's the level of technical, of technical training that a police officer has to prove before they can become a cop. It's not just like, Hey, stand here at this bull at this 10 yard range and uh, shoot this bullseye a few times. It's you've got to be in different positions. You've got to reload. You have a time constraint. There's all these exercises you go through. Trust me. If you are a beginner shooter, you will fail. If you have the wrong gun, you will fail. It is not, it's not a beginner thing. It's very much an intermediate slash advanced thing. You have to go through that. 
You have to declare all your guns to the government. You have to declare your serial numbers to the government. You have to basically open up your shirt, get notarized forms, pay these fees. I don't even remember all this. The packet of paper was like this after I submitted it. And there is a process. It statutorily takes six, they get 60 days, which is 30 more than they do for the guns. Trust me, they don't answer that in 60 days either. And uh, if you, it, even the person who first adjudicates that is your police chief, right? That's the first one. So 99.9% .9 of the time, they're going to say no. And then you have a right to appeal to the superior court, which is your county court. Even if the chief says yes to you, you still have to go to the superior court. And now the county prosecutor is going to argue against you with all of the resources of your county government and state government, because they, they, they consult with the New Jersey State Police to prove the case of why you don't deserve a carry permit. Now, there's a clause in New Jersey that's called justifiable need. And if you Google that, New Jersey justifiable need, it basically says that unless you have an imminent, immediate, documented, there's all these other, you know, adjectives, whatever that they use, a threat to your life, you are not eligible for one. So there's been instances like this where um, gang members in Newark have had their windows shot through and they'll file a police report and say, hey, there's a gang trying to kill me. And the police will actually, when they apply for the permit, the the, the, the chief and the prosecutor will say, well, you don't know who shot you. You don't know it was a specific person. Maybe it was an accident, right? Then we've had one guy who was uh, a landlord in Newark. I'm going to keep invoking Newark because that's like, you know, one of the more crime-ridden cities. And my family's from Newark. I lived there when I was a little kid, just for full disclosure. So uh, there was a guy who had a ATM business. There was a guy who had a was a landlord. So he had to go around picking up cash, you know, rents from dozens of people and he kept getting mugged. So he asked for a permit and they're like, well, it's not repeated. Like it's only happened twice. That's a coincidence, not a pattern. Right. So it's like essentially until you die, you're never legally uh, entitled to this permit. Here's a, here's a little bit of perspective, a little bit of math. There's over 9 million people in the state of New Jersey. There are about 1800 active legal carry permits. And that includes retired police officers. So we have, we have probably tens of thousands, if not over 100,000 police officers. And of all of those numbers, that includes cops. So it's like very few people get them. We know people who have them because the politically connected can get them. The rich people, you know, celebrities that pay a lawyer to lean on a politician can get them. Certain politicians have them who, who sponsor anti-gun bills. But um, that's the kind of, that's the kind of, you know, tyranny you're up against in New Jersey carrying it's not going to happen and we actually uh there is there is a famous uh, a case that happened here in New Jersey about 6 years ago there was a, a woman named Carol Bound who lived in South Jersey her husband she was a widow uh and her husband had a friend that she began dating he had a history of abuse like would beat her uh a bunch of physical abuse, different kinds of documented physical abuse. She applied for a restraining order. She got the restraining order. We all know in the Liberty community that that's as good as toilet paper. Um, and we also know if you've listened, if you know the results of cases like Castle Rock v. Gonzalez or DC, uh, 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 what's the other one? Uh, Warren versus DC, 1981. They all tell you the police have no legal duty to protect you. No legal duty to provide individualized protection to anybody. So, you know, the Liberty community understands this. This, this woman has a restraining order, uh, files for a gun permit. She's getting followed by this man and threatened constantly. And she's like, this guy is going to kill me. I need protection when I, she was, a, I think, a hairdresser. She's like, I leave the, the shop at nine o'clock at night. I need a cop 
to like walk me to my car and walk me in the apartment. And they said, yeah, we don't have the resources to do that. That's not our job, which they're technically legally right. Right. And on the 42nd day, I believe it was of her waiting for her permit, her, her, her boyfriend met her in her driveway and stabbed her to death. So New Jersey's laws literally kill the government has no duty to protect you legally. They will not protect you. They don't care about protecting you. They don't even pretend to care like they, 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 they want to protect you. And then at the same time, they legally hamstring you from being able to protect yourself. It is the worst Stockholm syndrome I have ever witnessed in my life. And this fact alone, that fact pattern alone should infuriate, should boil your blood when you hear it. But most New Jerseyans, if you ask them, hey, what do you think about you know people carrying? They'll enthusiastically tell you they love the fact that you can't carry here. So that's that's the kind of battle we're fighting in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's not just there; it's it's all over the country. But do you find any of the anti Second Amendment or anti you know concealed carry arguments compelling at all? Is there is there any um, any sort of argument you've heard when you're you know you're testing your uh, you're battle testing your arguments out in society. Anything that's compelling? I mean, I approach this the same way I would any other issue. I'm not compelling. I'm not forcing anyone to do it. Um, the same way I approach drugs. Hey, you want to snort coke or smoke weed? Good for you. I don't support the government putting you in a cage for having a plant at your house. It should be the same with guns, right? I also ask them this: like they always bring this this kind of paradigm up. Why is it that you lament? that there's police brutality. And then at the same time you go, but I want them to have the monopoly of all the guns. It's like, that doesn't compute to me. Anyone with common sense knows like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Uh, and then they'll go, oh, well, they're better trained. And I, I love that line. That's my favorite. That I, When someone says that, I go, yes, I won. Like, this is fantastic. And you go to anyone who says that they're better trained comment, be like, that's great. I'm really glad you brought that up. Tell me exactly in detail Every training that a police officer does to become a cop, they'll never be able to tell you. Like, forget the fact whether that's true or not. They can't even define it. And this goes back to what I was saying before about watching debates. Politics has become a game of platitudes that you don't have to define. And it's very easy to think you won when you just use flowery rhetoric and then you move on and you go back to your little circle of friends that already think like you, your little confirmation bias circle, and you all high five each other and you think you won. But like little platitudes like that, it's like, okay, really, what training do they go through? Because if you know what, I, I don't know about other states, but in New Jersey, the qualification process from year to year is like, hey, go to this basement once every six months and punch 10 holes in the paper. You're good. Like that's that's not rigorous. And if you know anyone who shoots guns uh, or is an enthusiast, they shoot way more than a police officer does. And if you go to a range with cops there, they'll actually laugh and say, oh, I haven't shot in six months. They'll make jokes about it because most suburban cops don't pull their gun throughout their entire career. So the arguments against it, look, they're, they, they typically are emotional arguments. And, and I can sympathize with emotion because we can harness that in our favor as well. Um, there's no one that can tell me that the story of Carol Baum is not emotional. It's very emotional to me. Um, but I... I I've never encountered one that is compelling because it's always predicated on me not having a choice. And when people support the state having a privilege that I can't have or being able to arrest me for doing something they're allowed to do while they simultaneously don't have to protect me, I, I, always, I always bring up this argument like imagine if you went to Burger King 
and you were like, I'd like a, I'd like a Whopper, please. And they're like, that'll be $10. And you hand them the $10 and they're like, have a nice day. And you're like, wait, where's my Whopper? They're like, well, sometimes you don't get a Whopper. That's our policy. Like, fuck off. And like, that's what police protection is. That's what like the sovereignty of self-protection is in New Jersey. They, they may come help you. They may not. But fuck you. We don't have to help you. And by the way, if you want to help yourself, we won't let you. Like if I even said, hey, I'll give you $10. Let me go around the counter. I'll cook the burger myself. No, I, you can't do that. Go out of here or we'll arrest you, right? That's New Jersey in a nutshell. If there's someone that has a compelling argument out there, our, our doors are always open metaphorically. Hit me up on bluestarunion.com. I'd love to have a friendly discussion on one of our streams and uh, talk about that, that very issue. Yeah, and it really is interesting too because – you know, typically Democratic voters tend to be against, um, you know, anti-Second Amendment, I guess. And a lot of Democratic voters tend to tend to be minorities that live in poor neighborhoods or women. And these are like the the great equalizers for the people in those situations, women especially. I mean, what's a 110 pound woman going to do against like a 250 pound guy without a gun? They don't they don't have a chance. I live in the Chicago. Well, technically I've been down in Mexico for the last eight months, but nice. you know, the South side of Chicago is just riddled with gun violence. There, there's more people dead there in a year than in, in like Iraq and Afghanistan combined. And right. there's there, the police just don't go over there anymore. They, they don't have any police protection whatsoever. I mean, if, if they're lucky enough to show up, it's just in time to draw the chalk outline around your body. And uh, these are the people that we're preventing from defending themselves. It, it's just incredible to me. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned this dichotomy, right? And this is why New Jersey is so crazy. So you mentioned Republicans, Democrats. And that's why I like to defy this all the time. Because in New Jersey, the Republicans like gun control. Okay. And that's in other states, that's like nuts. But um, Chris Smith is my congressman. He's a Republican. He just voted for the gun control bill last week federally, right? He supported it. And he's one of the big names getting a lot of shit nationally for it. But in New Jersey, he's a hero when he does that. Um, in our governor's race this year, we have a Republican who's picking up a lot of county line support. He may very well be the primary winner that ends up uh, squaring off against Murphy. Um, his name is Jack Citarelli. He did an interview two weeks ago, three weeks ago on a friendly, like Republican esque outlet. And they asked him about carry permits. They asked him about the second amendment. And just like every other politician from this guy to Barack Obama, they'll say, I support the second amendment cut, but then there's the real story. And he said some bullshit like, Oh, I'll maybe look into like carry permits. I think maybe female real estate agents would need them maybe like one or two other professions, but there would have to be like a rigorous process and we'd have to figure out who that's appropriate for. So it's like, oh, I get it. You're God and you get to play God and decide who deserves protection and everyone else can go fuck themselves, right? So th this is a Republican who is going to run for governor, okay? So the whole party thing in New Jersey doesn't mean shit. Most people in both parties are total statists. Some are partial statists. They all support big government in some fashion, one way or the other. And people who talk like you and me here are a rare breed, which is why when you meet them, you stay kind of close with them and you become really friendly. Yeah. But man, the conversation where we live, like we lead the, con the country in insanity when it comes to statism, man. Yeah. No, I, I thought Chicago was bad because I, I went through the whole process of 
yeah, we have the, we, have, it, we call it a FOID card, the firearm owner ID. That was the first step. And then, yeah. And then the uh, concealed carry permit was after that. And I did have to take classes and everything. They but you guys uh, have carry permits. You got them now. Yeah. We yeah, don't. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're ahead of like us. Maybe five or six years ago. I'm trying to think of when. Uh, it was a couple of years ago. I remember Illinois had a big, uh, it was a, a case, I think that challenged it and I they backed down or they won the case I don't remember but I remember hearing like oh my god we are going to be able to get legal guns in Chicago to carry and look maybe your process is backed up maybe it takes a year to get but you know what it's a win at least it's an incremental win that at the end of you jumping through their bullshit obstacles they have to give it to you whereas in New Jersey they do not like you are walking around unarmed now don't get don't don't get this twisted there are millions of people carrying guns illegally. And that is borne out by the fact that if you open the New Jersey star ledger or NJ.com, which is the biggest paper in the state, there's a shooting every day, right? Like daily there are shootings. So it's like, I don't under, and, and, and no one ever asked this. That's the part that gets me. And I always respond to these journalists. They never respond back to us. You, you keep writing these op-eds supporting more laws and then you never question their efficacy. It's like, there's 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 brown kids dying every day in our cities getting shot. And yet you're like, yeah, this is working. Cool. As long as the white guy doesn't get shot in the suburbs, then it's a fucking front page story. But this is how like kind of race dynamics. You mentioned many of those Democrats supporting gun control, maybe black, maybe brown um, in New Jersey. Everybody supports gun control. If that's an issue that everybody can get behind politically to get into office because talking like us, man, you're 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 not going to get elected in New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the uh, what's the next move for the Blue Star Union? So the next move is this case that we're working on, and it, it's it, it involves the, the realm of carry. We're uh, <laughs> I don't know how much I can divulge right now. I'd love to follow up with you later and I can tell you more details yeah. when we release it publicly. We are basically getting we're not even getting to the point where we can make our case. We're at an, the appeal stage. They are literally making up fake laws to stop us from even getting heard. I don't know why. I don't know where their head is. I have it all in writing. I have documents. I have payments I was forced to make that don't exist statutorily. I have this trail. I cannot wait to tell the story, but the second amendment space is going to be huge for us in the spring. And next week, I, I, I also started this like whistleblower program where if people are experiencing some kind of abuse at the municipal or county level in New Jersey, they'll come forward. I'll listen to their story and I'll give them a platform to tell it. Um, we have one guy who came to us about a week or two ago. He's going to be on our podcast next week on a live stream with video. He's going to show his face. Um, he has been getting allegedly harassed by his police department, the county, the county court, and the state. Um, this, From everything I've challenged him to divulge to me privately, I don't see what he did. I just can't wait to tell this story. It's going to be unreal. But it's a small taste of like, People, when they think of New Jersey, they think of mafia and they invoke like the Sopranos and stuff. Dude, Tony Soprano has nothing on our state government. Nothing. He's a he's fucking child's play. You don't understand the threats, the, the threats of violence, the threats to your family, the things they'll do to your business. They'll pull your your ability to make money. They'll condemn your house. They'll hit you up with permits uh, violation. The New Jersey state government is one of the most abusive entities in this republic. And whatever it takes to expose a little bit of it, to shine a little bit of sunlight. I, I hope to be a part of that equation and try to make people's lives a little bit better. So that's like kind of the next few months for us. And of course, we're going to keep holding our social events, going out, covering political uh, events, stuff like that, including tonight for St. Patrick's Day. So if anyone's in New Jersey, 
come hit us up in English town, go on our website or our socials. We have all the details there. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, Matt, I love what you're doing. I wish you all the luck in the world uh, taking on the federal mafia. Well, not the federal <laughs> mafia, but the state mafia in New Jersey. Maybe next year. Yeah. is uh, <laughs> that That's one hell of an undertaking. Um, so where uh, do you need to plug anything else? Where, where can uh, people go to support you? Where do they, where do they get involved? Sure. The, the best way to support us obviously is financially. That's what funds, you know, all of our operations. Uh, our website is bluestarunion.com. We're a IRS recognized 501c3. So all of donations are tax deductible. Um, so we would love any contributions that anybody interested in our mission statement would love to give us. If you just like to be involved in discussions, if you're local to New Jersey, we've done events in New Jersey and we've done events in DC because we have some contacts down there. So obviously in terms of physical events, we're kind of focusing on that East Coast, uh, you know, New Jersey, DC corridor. Um, but we do host a weekly live stream every Tuesday night at nine o'clock. We bring in guests. We're booked up for a couple of weeks, but um, I, if I get a bunch of uh, demand for people wanting to talk about something that's happening to them or to debate something, or maybe you have four people who have different opinions about an issue, we'll put them all on. We have streaming software and we have a, a discussion online and let people in the audience watching on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, interact and challenge us and question us. So like I said, it's a social group. Unfortunately, right now that's predominantly virtual, but as the sun starts shining here and the snow melts, we hope to be getting back outdoors uh, and, and making contacts with people face to face. And that's where we really thrive. So if you'd like to be a part of us or if you'd like to contribute, bluestarunion.com, subscribe to all of our socials and you can stay on top of our videos on YouTube. Excellent. Excellent. And this might be looking too far down the road, but is there any plan to start like other chapters around the, the country? Yes, that's the exact vision. And in fact, like we sort of have a chapter down in DC because one of our board members is down there. And I have a guy that I was trying to convince to become a chapter president there. We have one here who is my friend, Nick, that I mentioned. And I'm having, I'm having a conversation with him next week. I'm actually interviewing him. Um, really good dude, really involved with a lot of people in the Beltway. So yes, the goal is to eventually nationalize this. Um, but being someone from New Jersey, like there is literally nowhere where you can get more content to work with than here. I mean, there is no shortage of things to do. There's only a shortage of money and resources to go after it with. That's it. So yeah, hopefully that's the goal to eventually become a sort of more national outlet, but we're going to get, get there step by step. Beautiful, man. Well, hey, thanks for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I'd love to have you back on when you get a, a resolution to that lawsuit. <laughs> and uh, I, I wish you all the luck in the world, man. It sounds like New Jersey is like the ultimate frontier to be waging this battle. So uh, if you do end up going national you'll have, and you win something in New Jersey, I think it'll be uh, downhill from there. We're, we're hoping so. We're hoping that that happens. And hey, man, appreciate coming on here. I love listening to some of your other episodes and uh, love, what, love what you guys do as well. So thanks for having us on. Hey, it was my pleasure, man. We'll do it again sometime soon. Awesome. Take care. Okay, so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Daniel from Blue Star Union. Pretty interesting interview. That guy sure can talk about guns and, and the Second Amendment and just the, the whole permit process. I've uh, I've never seen anybody rattle off so much uh, information in a really short period of time. What a mess New Jersey is. And like I said, I always thought Chicago was just a fucking bureaucratic nightmare when it came to that sort of stuff. But yeah, New Jersey is is definitely living up to its fucking repu uh, reputation as far as that's concerned. I hope he's successful in everything that he does, but go and support him and support his cause because 
I think we're all on the same page when it comes to Second Amendment gun rights and your right to protect yourself. And I think, you know, if, if he can be successful in New Jersey, the, the sky's the limit for where we could go with this. So if you can do uh, do what you can to support him uh, monetarily. And if you're over in New Jersey or something, go go check out one of his events, get together for St. Patrick's Day or something. That, that could be a lot of fun. Sounds like they got a, a nice group of people that, that show up and uh, you could have a good time or whatever. But anyway, um, I'm going to wrap there. Um, I will try to do another episode this week because I, I, I do feel bad about missing the, the past one, uh, the, the Monday, Tuesday episode, whatever. And um, there, there's a lot of stuff that I, I should be talking about that I just haven't gotten around to for one reason or another. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's just wrap there. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. We're getting those numbers up a little bit, but I, I still need more of you to follow me. So that's all I'm asking is that you follow me at uh, on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. And if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back later this week with a brand new episode for you. And until then, you guys know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace. Peace.